This is Wading Deep, a podcast that explores the connection between environmental justice and race. Racism pollutes our people and land. Resilience, our strength of spirit and hand. Resurrection, our healing, made whole we stand. I'm your host, the Reverend Jamon Taylor, rector at St. Ambrose Episcopal Church, Raleigh, North Carolina, a congregation with a long history of challenging environmental racism. I am honored to welcome today's guest, the most Reverend Michael B. Curry, presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. Welcome, most Reverend Sir. Thank you, good father. It's good to be with you. Good to be good to see you again. <laughs> always good being with you. Uh, what is environmental racism in your own words? Uh, and environmental racism really is um, the negative impact of peoples of color on environment from environmental degradation, um, environmental ignorance, um, and deliberate um, sabotage of communities of color. And I can go into that in more detail, except that it's not an accident that poor folk um, have the worst water systems. Flint, Michigan was not an accident. It wasn't that somebody deliberately said, we're gonna impact poor people. It was that they didn't fix the infrastructure in poor neighborhoods and made decisions where poor people were gonna be uh, inordinately effective. It's not an accident that at Standing Rock, the Sioux um, Reservation, that the decision was made uh, to run a water, a gas pipe under the water <laughs> under the water that was the only source of water for the Sioux Nation. There were other alternatives, but the Sioux were picked out. It is not an accident that you're talking about drilling on Wetchin land of indigenous peoples in Alaska. There are other alternatives for getting oil, but the 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 peoples of color were easy to pick on. It is, I could go I could go through, call down the list. It is not an accident <laughs> that there are that historically there have been toxic waste dump sites on the neighborhoods and near the areas of poor folk. Not an accident that there are um, what do you call those things uh, the electric current um, power lines, big, power lines, lines, power yeah, lines. And, and uh, there are all sorts of yep. issues. What do they cause cancer? Are there issues around? It's not an accident. You don't see that in wealthy neighborhoods. No. None of that is an accident that sometimes by intention, sometimes by neglect, sometimes for a variety of reasons, but poor folk and people of color suffer inordinately in this country uh, from environmental race, uh, environmental ra what we call environmental racism. But now the whole world's going to deal with it now. Um, and if you look around the globe, it has been historically um, the developing countries, which have been countries of color, again, uh, who have suffered the most. Now, climate change has made suffering an equal opportunity employer. <laughs> Misery has company in this respect. Yeah, You're we're right, all in now. You're right, Presiding mm -hmm. Mr. Curry. It is not happenstance. It's not happenstance that the city of Raleigh during segregation zoned the area for St. Ambrose to locate Rochester Heights as the first planned neighborhood for black people, again, during segregation. And it's where the city of Raleigh dumped raw sewage for 70 years and then yeah. dumped trash. It's not happenstance. The, the least desirable uh, right. becomes now the, the best place 
um, for people of color, black people. Uh, yep. You spoke about um, global and people may think the Episcopal Church is, is only in the United States. It's, it's global. I think 16 mm -hmm. or 17 countries around the world. Um, and we know that belo becoming beloved community is certainly one of your priorities as presiding bishop and creation care is a part of that. Can you speak mm -hmm. a little bit about maybe the connection with becoming beloved community and creation care, how those two dovetail or work together? Yeah, I, you know, I really, but this is a fundamental theological uh, perspective for me that comes, I think, from clearly from the teachings of Jesus, building on the teachings of the Hebrew scriptures, um, that the that God has so created this world that um, it is uh, a network of interconnected relationships, a network of mutuality, as Dr. King once said, that it, it is all connected and that we are meant to live in harmony um, with our God, with each other, and with all creation. If you read the, the, the creation story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, as long as they are in communion and harmony with God, each other, and creation, they are in paradise. The moment the relationship with God, each other, and the creation is broken and fractured by their sin, that's when they get kicked out of paradise. That's this right. is not rocket science. The Bible's <laughs> trying to tell us something very clearly. God has made this world for harmony with God, with each other and with the creation and disrupting any of those relationships has consequences. And so the beloved community, um, as Dr. King popularized it, which was a way of talking about um, what earlier theologians and philosophers had talked de dealt with the kingdom of God or the reign of God, where God's love is the ultimate law, where God's love breaks out, where there is that genuine harmony community between God, other, and creation. And so care for creation is not an ancillary thing. It is engagement um, with God's vision for the creation for all of us from the beginning. I, I, you know, I love that passage in John 3.16. I've always heard it. God so loved the world that he gave his only son to the end that all believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, I've always read that as having to do with God so loved the world that um, you know, he sent his son Jesus to, to save us. Well, that is true. I mean, mm -hmm. to show us the way of salvation and liberation and redemption. He, that's what he came to do. But it wasn't just about us. The right. word God so loved the world, he didn't say God so loved just human beings. No, right. no, 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 no. God so loved the world. The word there is cosmos mm -hmm. in the Greek, which means everything. Everything. God so loved everything. As the Nicene Creed says, things visible and things invisible. Mm -hmm. God so loved world that he gave his only begotten son. The early Christians um, really believed um, and, and I'm just kind of wrestling with this, that the vocation of the Christian is to learn to follow Jesus so as to learn how to love as God loves. God so loved the world. So loving this creation and redeeming it and saving it and healing it, as the Jewish tradition says, that is a Christian, a religious vocation, not just a secular occupation. You're right. And what you said may, may sound a little bit foreign or um, different. We think about certainly the salvation of Jesus Christ. I think about John yeah. three sixteen. I, I imagine when I see that sign at football games, they're holding it up that that's some pastor's discretionary uh, account. I am yeah. doing evangelism by being at the Buffalo Bills game, holding up that there sign. You go. But, we, we, but we typically <laughs> think about it in terms of human salvation, but you're right, right. The, the cosmos. Um, and the, the idea that the creation, the universe, the cosmos, human beings, um, the, the divine, 
all have to be in good relationship. Yes. Um, and I think that that creation part has, has, has really been neglected, particularly around this idea of domination. We have to dominate and, and subdue creation instead of being um, good neighbors and good partners with, our, with the right. creation. Exactly. It, it, it's, it's, it's really common sense. If, if, if we care and love God, then, then we're to care and love those that God loves, which means each other and ourselves. And it also means this world that we are blessed to be able to inhabit. Why is that hard? Why is that difficult to understand? That that's that's almost I almost want to say with Thomas Paine from the Revolutionary Period, this is just common sense. Just common but sense. It's just common sense. Uh, if yeah. we exploit and um, let me put it this way: don't mess with Mother Nature. <laughs> don't mess with Mother Nature. <laughs> that's right. that's we right. need to care for this world um, because we we throw the system the ecosystem out of balance. Mm -hmm. When it's out of balance, crazy stuff starts to happen. That's what's right. going on with climate change. Don't think that the creature changes and weather patterns are just weather patterns. This is climatic change. Um, it's happening. Don't think that those fires out in the West are just happenstance and accident. Mm -hmm. This is part of climate. The climate is, it has already changed. The question is, can we salvage it and prevent it from getting dramatically worse? Um, and and we in the United States have a great responsibility for that, as as do other industrialized nations. Um, and we have a great responsibility for making sure that nations that have been impacted, may I say it this way, by our wanton selfishness, and I include right. myself in that. I'm not I'm not preaching from on high. Mm -hmm. uh, but our unwillingness to engage this issue, other people have suffered because of our decisions, and therefore we have a responsibility um, to make good with them, to help them out, to mitigate the impacts of climate change. Uh, the COP conference that just happened was wrestling mm -hmm. with some of that um, right. to, to some degree. And um, our Anglican communion and our Episcopal church, we were present both virtually and there were some representative, very few, um, from the Anglican Communion who were already in England. So they just right. went up to Scotland and were right. able to be there. Um, but we were able to be there because we represent the Anglican, the Episcopal Church, we're a small church of 2 million. Well, we're part of the Anglican Communion that is 85 million people. Right. It is the third, third largest, largest Christian denomination in the world behind right. the Roman Catholic and the Orthodox, and then come the Anglicans. That's so right. it is a substantial, our, our folk are impacted by this. Right. Um, dramatically, both here in the US, but around the world. You're absolutely right, presiding bishop. I'm wondering, how did you get involved with environmental advocacy, um, environmental justice? You know, it's been, a, in all honesty, it's been a slow journey for me. Um, mm. um, because it wasn't, you know, like you, I mean, I, I cut my teeth as, as the priest of inner city, historically African-American congregations, uh, both in North Carolina, um, then later in Southern Ohio, and then in, in Baltimore, in Baltimore, Maryland. Mm -hmm. So I was dealing with urban inner city issues. It didn't occur to me, however, um, until I was in um, uh, Baltimore, um, and that would have been from 88 to 2000 when I was elected in North Carolina. It didn't occur to me that, wait a minute, something's going on until we were dealing with lead pipe issues. 
um, and the toxic poisoning of children and the impact on that and trying to get legislation. Unfortunately, Maryland um, and Baltimore did do some good work there. I mean, some good work was done. We were organized uh, with BUILD, uh, which was an IAF affiliate that organized the churches and community. And we engaged that. We engaged living wage. This is 20 years ago, living wage there mm -hmm. in, in Baltimore, those kinds of things. Um, but it, it didn't occur to me that the that this had something to do with environmental justice, right? Um, the eco justice. I said, wait a minute, why are the pipes bad just in our neighborhood? <laughs> well, oh, you know what I mean? I, I didn't make the connection at first. It was in Baltimore that I started to realize. And then when it came to North Carolina, there were a number of people who were advocating for the environment, many of whom are in St. Ambrose uh, right mm -hmm. now, was right. in the lead on this. And we got involved in interfaith power, um, uh, interfaith power, um, and had churches doing energy audits and that kind of thing, and then trying to advocate both on the state and uh, with other Episcopal dioceses. So that my I, I grew in this. Um, I I was a slow learner. I was I was late to the party. Um, although, and here's the funny thing, I was in high school when the first Earth Day happened. Ah, <laughs> I, I was in, I think I was a junior or senior, I can't remember, but I was in high school. And I remember the only thing I mean, you know, I mean, I was a high school kid. So one thing we were thinking, <laughs> oh, you mean we don't have to go to class today? Right? So what are we gonna do? To, oh, we got to clean up the neighborhood. You know, I mean, we didn't know what it was all about, and didn't realize that something significant, more significant than just picking the trash up in the neighborhood. Although that was important, that was mm -hmm. it, it, because what it was doing was sowing the seeds of a consciousness and awareness right. of of pay attention to this world. We can't just defile this world and expect everything to be okay. Right. Um. And and that conscious that seed was sown then, even though you know a high school junior kid is not thinking about <laughs> all of that complexity. So my journey actually began with that Earth Day, to be very honest. Um, but the seed didn't begin to germinate, if you will, until I was really in in Baltimore and then and then in North Carolina. Wow. And now as presiding bishop, I live with a lot of this stuff. Right. Right. I always appreciate how Earth Earth Day's proximity to Easter. And I always think mm -hmm. that Christians could do more with that. Um, yes. You know, season of resurrection, new life, um, Earth Day, that it really just makes sense you know, from a yeah. theological standpoint, um, yeah, to make that connection. And I, I think that that's a growing edge for many churches, just not Episcopal congregations, but other congregations to make that explicit connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah. You know, and I, one of the, a, a real transformative moment, if you will, as a bishop was that when I was Bishop of North Carolina, I went to the Lambeth Conference in 2008. And um, and this was Lambeth Conference. Archbishop at Canterbury convenes it and brings Anglican bishops from around the world. And there may have been 800 of us or something like that um, in England at Canterbury Cathedral for, I think it was three weeks back then. I think it's gonna be two weeks now. But, um, and, and each day was dedicated to some topic, usually like the bishop and social justice, the bishop and evangelism the bishop and scripture. I mean, you know, each day kind of had a thematic focus, our Bible studies, the presentations and all that. And there was one day in particular was the bishop and the environment. And, you know, we did Bible studies in small groups mm -hmm. of maybe eight, and then you moved to what they called Indaba groups, which were mm -hmm. several Bible studies brought together. So you had the small groups of eight and maybe you took five of them. So you had 40 people right, <laughs> an Indaba right. group, mm -hmm. uh, which as you know, in Southern African tradition, a community of wisdom. Right. Um, and 
and one that day on the environment when we were talking about that i remembered the the leader uh, facilitator asked us what has been the impact of climate change um, on your environment your diocese and your community and and those of us from america the us and from the northern hemisphere were slow to answer because mm -hmm. there weren't obvious impacts of right. climate change we're talking about now right right but but when when the 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 archbishop of tanzania talked about being a little child and remembering what mount kilimanjaro looked like when you were a child looking up at it and the the peaks were covered with snow mm -hmm. and and now seeing the peaks barely with any snow on them right um when uh bishop from zimbabwe uh, talked about the changes in the growing season um mm -hmm. and the, the shortening and while there are fa famines because of this that they're seeing and on a, and and i'll never forget the bishop uh then bishop from the solomon island um uh whose name i can't remember but he was a little guy mm -hmm. he stood up and he looked at those of us who were americans and he said my people have been your friends we, we were your friends during the second world war mm -hmm. my people were the people who saved your president John Kennedy in his PT 109 mm. when hit we saved him and his companions and protected them we were your friends America we need you to be our friends now wow. because our mm. islands are sinking mm. my wow. brother that was like oh dear yeah. God yes oh dear God what have we done mm -hmm. what have we allowed to happen Mm -hmm. um, but despair is not an option to be serious. Right. Despair is a feeling. You got to deal with it. Then you got to do something. Correct. That's you right. must act, act right. to change it. And right. so right. that was a rally. I mean, of all the things I learned at that conference, that was one that we must engage this seriously. And so when I became presiding bishop, I made it one of the three pillars, um, priority pillars, evangelism, racial reconciliation and justice and care for God's creation is three priorities to emphasize um, as a Jesus movement for the time that I serve as presiding bishop. That's right. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, I know you're born in Chicago, grew up in, in Buffalo, son of an Episcopal priest, uh, and your grandmother was from Eastern North Carolina, a, a more rural area. I'm, I'm wondering if time spent there, because I know you, I know you spent a significant amount of time with your grandmother, mm -hmm. if time spent in, in rural North Carolina also had some formation on care for the creation, love for the environment, love for nature? You know, it actually did. No one's ever asked me this before. Um, but, but, you know, the, it actually did in a funny kind of way. Um, uh, uh, Grandma uh, and Aunt Lillian, uh, they had, their house was in um, uh, Winton. Mm -hmm. um and uh so it wasn't in a city but it wasn't completely in the country it wasn't a farmhouse but it was in small town right um and farms were around there um and in those days there were more tobacco farms than anything else but uh but farms were around there but clearly people everybody was people of the land i mean the sausage i have never had sausage like a oh man <laughs> I, forgive me but i know some poor pig had to bite the dust but nonetheless <laughs> I mean, it was fresh meat. I mean, you, 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 it was fresh. The food we ate were, for the most part, fresh foods. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, anyway, it, it was locally. You know, we talk about locally sourced. Well, it was right. locally sourced because they didn't bring anything in from anywhere else. It was, you know, when I think about it, <clears throat> we were in an environment 
where the creation we were closer to the creation and there was a sense of harmony now you had to be careful uh you know they tell us don't get near the creek you know mm -hmm. which is of course kids that's the first place you go but anyway uh you know that kind of stuff and you had to be careful of wild animals there are a lot of wild animals but every once in a while a possum loses his mind and goes crazy and goes after folk you know i mean that kind of stuff would happen but or a chicken would chase you in the yard right. that kind of thing but there was a sense of this feels like the way the world's supposed to be. Right. I didn't put that together again until later. When I started looking back, I said, "We something's wrong. Uh, so, something's actually gone wrong. The further we've gone from the land, mm -hmm. the more disconnected we are from the very soil in which we live. It is like being separated from your very roots. And and I remember um, when I was in this was when I was Bishop of North Carolina. I think it was the first trip we took to Botswana mm -hmm. uh, when we started the companion link relationship. Um, I remember talking to the uh, Minister of Health at the time, and um, and he was talking about we were talking about mental health, mm -hmm. and he said one of the things that they've been aware of is that the 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 people who have moved into the cities away from the village the the incidence of mental illness um is higher he said what they've discovered is part of the reason is they've been disconnected from roots from family from the land uh their identity and their lives were tied to family and the land mm -hmm. i heard um our indigenous leaders in the episcopal church um, Native Americans, and, and there are a number, significant number of Native Americans uh, who are in the Episcopal Church today. I was with some of them. I heard some of them say the exact same thing. When mm. we were separated from our land, our theology is tied up to a spirituality of the sacredness of the creation. And we were ripped from our land um, by colonialists who ripped us from our land, ripped us from our identity, separated us, and, and in many cases killed us. Um, and as a result, the levels of mental illness and trauma consistently continue with us. That is all tied. We were made to be part of the land. That's right. We are part of the creation. We are That's not right. to dominate it and to destroy it. We are meant to be caretakers of it, partners with God in caring, intending for God's creation the same way God tends and cares God so loved the world. If God loved the world, how dare we not? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the epiphanal moment when you talked about um, being in East North Carolina years later, reflecting on that's the way it should be. Um, we've been working with the professor at NC State and the majority of literature um, states that black people, folk of African descent, do not like being in nature which to mm -hmm. us is just crazy right. because we are agrarian folk historically in this country, uh, folk who were enslaved. Uh, but when you look at the survey, it asks, um, do you enjoy backpacking in Yosemite? Um, when was the last time you climbed a mountain? And these are metrics used to gauge oh. how, how well people like the environment. But as you said, that good sausage was yeah, connection to the land. Oh, yeah. That the good food, being <laughs> yes. being outside. Um, yeah. When you talk about recycling, you know, every uh, good cook I know 
to the yeah. left or right of the stove has that little bowl the little, for, yes. the bacon, for the bacon grease. That's recycled. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the fact that we, 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 have to, we have to expand our imagination from um, a data analysis standpoint to include different experiences. Yes. Just because somebody has not hiked Yosemite does not mean that person does not like being in the environment. Right. Um, caring for your plants in the backyard yeah. uh, is being in yeah. the environment. Well, presiding bishop, my final question to you, and I, I always close, is what gives you hope? You know, I mean, ultimately, you know, this is, there's no gospel song, this is my father's world. Um, ultimately, this remains God's world. Um, and, and while there are consequences to environmental degradation um, and the impacts of climate change, and we must do our part. Um, we are not in this alone. We are partners with God um, in saving, like an old hymn said, saving God's lost creation. And, and, and because of that, and because of, of folk like you, like St. Ambrose, because of a movement that's gone on, I'm seeing that's alive in our Episcopal churches, because of a movement that's alive, I think, in our culture, um, I'm finding hope. The struggle will be long. It's not going to be easy. We're not going to win every battle. There are losses that are going to happen. But there are signs of hope. The American government, to a great extent, has made great progress and was a real a serious participant in the COP Council of Parties on negotiations around climate change. We didn't do everything we were supposed, everything wasn't solved, but at least we were at the table this time. Um, we were right. there. So we're, we're, uh, we're participating in being not just simply caused, those who cause the problem, but those who work for solutions. That gives me hope. Um, and ultimately, I have hope because as old folk used to say, God is still on the throne and we right. are not. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> Amen to that. Presiding Bishop Curry, it has been an honor. Thank you uh, for sharing your wisdom, enthusiasm, spirituality, and insight with us. Well, thank you for what you're doing. And you all keep on keeping on. And to everybody who hears this, we got work to do. So let's go on and do it in the name of Jesus. Amen to that. The Wading Deep Podcast comes to you from a place we affectionately call the Bros, St. Ambrose Episcopal Church, Raleigh, North Carolina. Follow us on Facebook, YouTube, The Bros NC on Twitter, and The Bros 1868 on Instagram. I am your host, the Reverend Jamond Taylor. Gods are going to trouble the water of environmental racism, resurrecting a river of life clear as crystal. Shalom. Salam. Peace.